while driving. I have. Interestingly, the first thing that happened was my foot came off the accelerator. It's a little, le- little lesson there, maybe. <laughs> so, slow it down. Enjoy it. <laughs> so, um, this morning's a bit of a miracle for me. Last Sunday, I was up here leading. Um, and then by the time I'd got home, I was starting to feel a bit sore throat. And um, by Monday evening, uh, I had a sore throat. <laughs> I was starting to struggle with my voice. Um, by Tuesday... Um, my voice was gone, really, and uh, really, really painful, inflamed throat. You know, when you have that, I know I'm a bloke, so everything's magnified a hundred times, but um, my pain threshold's about the same as a mouse or something like that, maybe less, maybe less. Um, so, so it was really hurting, you know, and hard to sleep, didn't get much sleep for a few nights. And I emailed Brian, actually, on Friday, so I don't think this is going to happen on Sunday. <laughs> you know, no chance. And, and then God just said, no, you need to, and you'll be okay. So... Um, so, here I am. I might occasionally go to the water, but we're there. I woke up this morning feeling a lot better. Weird, eh? <laughs> so, I don't know about you, but uh, our mailbox has been busy, our, our, our post box, and, and we've had a lot of offers this new year. So far, I've been offered three credit cards, all with 0% transfers, um, so I can move my debt <laughs> if I want. What a nice offer. Um, I've, had, uh, I've been offered an upgrade to my mobile phone tariff, few pounds more if I want it. Um, Takeaway food from a random outlet in town at low prices, just very similar to the last one I had, but a different name. Um, and then 10% off my bill if I take out a store card today, uh, you can walk away with a 10% discount and a, and a credit deal. And all of these things have one thing in common that'll make me a little bit poorer uh, and them a little bit richer. Uh, and as my dad always said, there's nothing in this world for free. Very little, and especially when it comes down to business. Um, if they say it's not going to cost you anything, check. That's my advice. Um, my mobile company, interestingly, tell me that they love me. Uh, I, got a, I got almost a love letter off them recently, and it said, Steve. They actually have my name on it as well. I thought, wow. <laughs> Printed, of course. Uh, and we've missed you. Like, oh, that's nice. And then Lucy got one as well. It said, Lucy. We've missed you. I thought, oh, no, it's ruined, because she got one as well. So, um, yeah, uh, lots of people want to change things at this time of year. And these people are targeting those, those wants, those desires. They want to um, help you with your debt by taking it on for you and making some money out of you. Uh, they want you to lose weight with them. Um, sign up to our program. It only cost you £45. <laughs> uh, they want you to quit smoking with their thing. Um, and they want to help you with that, or drinking, whatever it may be. Thing is, what we often do is we start something and we don't finish it. It's already been said today. And, uh, and people assume, it seems, certainly in our culture now, it seems that success to us is being famous, or being rich, or having the trophy wife or husband, uh, and, and actually, um, or having just the most stuff. Um, we, we noticed recently there's a local business has been doing really well near where we live and, uh, and, and the guy, first thing the guy did was he went out and bought himself a Maserati sitting on his drive it's very nice personalised number plate and it's a status symbol I'm not getting at the guy he's been successful Good, fair play to him but, but he's, he's making the most of it by showing everybody I can buy this car because I'm doing really well oh you're still driving around in that are you <laughs> it's that sort of 
that sort of feel, isn't it? And, and that's what people do. They um, build up all their stuff. And then they go, aren't I doing well? Jesus had something to say about it in Luke 12. I'm just going to read this to you. He called it the parable, or they called it the parable of the rich fool. Um, he doesn't pull any punches, Jesus. I'll just warn you this morning. Um, whenever we talk about Jesus, prepare to be offended. Because you know, he didn't come here to go, oh, I'm going to be nice to everyone. It's what some people perceive Christianity as. It's about being nice to everybody. He actually came and he got into a lot of trouble. Within three years, he was dead because of the way he behaved and the way he spoke to people. That's no coincidence. You know, they, they did not like what this man had to say. And this was one example where Jesus, in a very simple story, showed what was wrong with people. So um, someone in the crowd, this is at verse 13 of chapter 12 of Luke, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. <laughs> I love that straight away. It's like, <laughs> so you're Jesus then. <laughs> Teacher, butter him up. <laughs> Can you tell him to give me half the money? <laughs> so <laughs> Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Ooh. <laughs> so straight away he's put this guy on the back foot because he knows that he's asked his question out of greed. And he told them this parable, this story. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And then he says this um, quite hard-hitting statement. Jesus says, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. Hard-hitting. I get the impression rich people didn't like Jesus very much because he kept saying things like, give it all away, then come and see me. You know, <laughs> He was one of those people that was quite uncomfortable to be around in many ways if there was something in your life that shouldn't be there. And, uh, and he, he tended to point out your weakness straight away. But he was wonderful at that. And he also offered you grace. And, and this is the thing I want to say this morning. I stand here this morning. Like I said, I shouldn't really be standing here. My voice is working for some reason. I'm a man who's had so much grace in his life. And, and I can stand here this morning and say thank you to God for the things that he's given me. But more than anything, for the life that I have. And I've found God. You know, because I, I went looking for him a few years ago now. I was, I was playing at being a Christian for a long time. And I thought, just turning up to meetings, believing in a set of beliefs, that'll do. And then actually, God said there's so much more. And it was actually a song, this isn't in my notes, but it was actually a song I was listening to. A guy called Jason Upton wrote a song called Come Up Here. And he just, in the song, he says, come up here, come up now. My beloved, see what I see. And I just got into this song, and I just thought, I'm missing something here. If you're missing something, and you know what I mean, then, then this is for you today, okay? So, life has a tendency to throw us a curveball now and then, and surprise us. For example, and I don't need to list all the, the things, but how do you cope 
with a childhood that's full of abuse and neglect? How do you bounce back from a lifetime of addiction? How do you cope with cancer? How do you cope with years of unemployment? How do you cope with memories of horrific events? How do you come back from that and change your life? Because it's easy for me to stand here and say to you, here's all the answers, just chase God. But it's too simplistic, and I don't want to patronise you and say, oh, yeah, your problems don't matter. Because actually, we do suffer, and many of you may have suffered in those ways. So please don't take anything I've said today as a way of belittling what you've been through or what you're going through. But if we're not careful, we can transfer our need into something else. Can we put the PowerPoint up, guys, if you've got it there? That would be really helpful, actually. Um, I must remember to do this. <laughs> it's important that we get these slides. There's a slide I want to show you. That's just the title. If we can move on to the next one. Thanks. Yeah, have a look at this. I'll give you a moment to read it. It's just a silly thing. So if you can't read it, I'll read it out. And for those that are listening online, for reasons unexplained, every person in the world is born with a large gaping hole in the centre of their chest. And there's some little people standing there with little holes in their chest. While not uncomfortable, it's widely considered unsightly. And pretty much everyone tries to fill it with something. Some people fill it with religion, others just buy a bunch of stuff, and some even fill it with other folks. I left mine alone, though, because I found out if you run against the wind at just the right angle, it makes a whistling noise. (laughs) Why is he showing me this? Why is the preacher man showing me this? Well, (laughs) this sums up our culture for me. It really does. It sums up the world I live in, anyway. I I walk around and I see people with holes in their chest, in a way. You know, they're sort of holes, God-shaped holes in our hearts. Uh, And uh, people do try and fill it with things. You know, people identify with a certain sport or they identify with something specific that defines them. They say, oh, I'm, uh, I'm a horse rider. I'm, uh, I'm an equestrianist, whatever you want to call it. Or I'm an athlete, whatever it may be that defines you and you put yourself into that box. Some people use a religious faith to do that. and say, oh, I am this now. Okay, I'm becoming this. Um, other folks... People just surround themselves with social groupings. Uh, and, and it becomes a, a filling in of the hole. And then this, this last slide, at first I laughed at it and I thought, oh yeah, great, laugh at yourself and everything else. But this is another part of our culture that doesn't get talked about. And this is the flippant side of it. And this is the side of it where, <laughs> I was watching a thing the other day, this guy said, oh, you're from China. Seriously? The guy said, always seriously. And I thought, ah, yes, <laughs> because in China they don't have this sense of humour. They kind of don't do this. They have a very serious approach to life. And in our culture, we've learned to laugh at things. I don't know what it's come through, hardship, whatever. But it's interesting that sometimes we laugh away the real problem we've got. So don't be fooled into that this morning, into laughing it away and going, ah, it's just me. You know, silly old me. I'll just go home and cry. <laughs> you know, reality is important. Amen. Next slide. Okay, so... Okay, so I'm going to read you two stories, then I'm going to come to the fishermen that are on the screen and explain that. Just two quick ones. Um, two people that a few of us have met, I think Rob will know who I'm talking about, um, on the second one anyway. The first one is someone I met called Dorian, Dorian Gray, um, and I'll just read you his story. He's a real person, 
Dorian grew up in a home with no love and a father who was an alcoholic and taking drugs. One day, aged about 11, Dorian arrived home from school. No one was around. This wasn't unusual. However, venturing upstairs, he opened his dad's bedroom door and saw his dead body on the bed. It was a sight that would have a terrible effect on young Dorian. Passed from foster home to foster home, school to school, he got involved early with gangs and crime. This soon developed into more organised crime, including drug dealing and supply, other lucrative ventures. At one point, he was making £10,000 a week on cash and spending about the same amount. Gradually, through his colleagues, he became more involved with the BNP, some of the more far-right groups in England. All of his anger, his hate and his rage became directed towards those that were different to him. He and some associates formed a splinter group called British Resistance. Before long, they were planning to carry out a high-risk act of terrorism against a senior politician and his family. Fortunately, they were arrested before they carried out their plan. Dorian found himself in prison with a three-year sentence, having compulsory counselling with a man called Professor Manny Barrot. At first, Dorian wouldn't even speak with Manny as he's Asian, and that was awful to him. After several visits, Dorian started to engage with his questions, and ever so slowly, layers of lies were revealed and dealt with. He realised that he shared many views with senior Nazi leaders of World War II and other people he loathed. He realised that the end result of an eye for an eye is the whole world ends up blind. The root causes of his offending were identified and he was able to turn away from his extreme political ideals. With time still to serve, Dorian had given up on a life of hatred and rage and now had to start again. In his words, it was like my whole belief system had been removed and I was left with a massive hole that nothing could fill. Dorian then did something amazing. He'd heard about Jesus Christ in prison and he came to a point where he had to do something or risk going to extremes again. This proud man, who before he went to prison would never set foot in a church except to steal from it or destroy it, fell to his knees and repented of his sins before God. He invited Jesus into his heart and his life was immediately transformed. Dorian now delivers talks to youngsters up and down the country, which is how I met him. He's working with the anti-radicalisation unit at Metropolitan Police to try and stop young people getting drawn into these organisations from whatever angle. How do you go from being a committed terrorist to a gentle public speaker in three years? There's one way. (laughs) There's only one way, and that is God. Jesus Christ is the only person who can help you transform your life, who can change it in an instant from one thing to another. Second story. This is one Rob will recognise because we heard this together. But um, Oh, I forgot to say, one of the students at the end of that talk actually came up to me and said, was it safe for us to be in there with him? <laughs> Genuine question. Like, did you think about that? They were questioning us, like, did you realise that this person could have done something? And I said, yeah, I actually think we were safe. And I could only say that because I knew from his story that I could trust him because he was so open about it. Otherwise, you might not have had him in at all. This guy is called Mark Davis, another English guy. Oh, he lives in England. Um, grew up in Canada. Had a very harsh, disciplined upbringing by his father. He described it as Victorian. At a young age, he saw the Falklands War happening on the telly. He knew that he wanted a life of adventure to be a soldier. The Canadian army didn't appeal to him, so he didn't seem to have any good wars. 
So he set his sights on the British Parachute Regiment, because they always seemed busy. (laughs) As soon as he was old enough, he flew to the UK and he signed up into the Parachute Regiment. Already fit and very athletic from his father's training, Mark did well and succeeded in becoming a fully-fledged paratrooper. Spending a lot of time on the streets of Belfast and Ulster wasn't what he'd signed up for, though. He noticed that sometimes on the base, there were these guys swaggering about with long hair and beards who seemed to be celebrities. He asked who they were, and they told him they were SAS troopers. Mark immediately signed up for the SAS selection process and went through sheer hard work and discipline to make it to be a part of the regiment, as they call it. What followed was a 12-year career in the SAS in which Mark took part in the Balkans War, two Gulf Wars, Northern Ireland, Sierra Leone, and a whole load of other wars he wasn't allowed to talk about because no one knows about them. He rose to the rank of Warrant Officer Second Class, second highest NCO in the SAS. But it was while he was in the SAS that something amazing happened. He was in Florida with a colleague to enjoy the spring break because they knew the girls were easy to pick up. When he found himself alone in a hotel room, he decided to switch on the TV, and lo and behold, a TV evangelist was on. He decided to kick back and relax and have a laugh at the crazy Americans. He genuinely just wanted to mock it. He didn't go in there with any other intention. He listened to the preacher. And all of a sudden, he was overwhelmed by a conviction in his heart that he was going to hell. He ended up on his knees, weeping and crying out to God for salvation and forgiveness for his sins. This is, a let me remind you, an SAS warrant officer. He would have been responsible for many murders in his, in his career, if you want to call them that, killings. And this is a hard man on his knees crying within minutes of hearing the gospel. Gave his heart to the Lord that day. On returning to barracks at Hereford, he was enjoying dinner in the mess one night when someone asked him what the heck he was saying grace for before he ate. They used different language. Mark replied that he was now Christian. The sound of falling cutlery was all that he could hear as 120 troopers turned en masse to observe this spectacle. Mark took his stand and never had to explain it again. It was accepted. He's now out of the army and, um, and spoke in 2013 at the gathering, the men's event that we went to. Um, and, and Dorian also spoke there last year, I understand. He, choose, he chose to believe in Jesus. And he had to take a stand against all of his friends. And they were lower ranked than him. So he run the risk there of losing their respect. Because they would not think that was a very appropriate thing to do in the SAS. There's two examples of real people that I've met who have changed their lives in radical ways. And it comes down to trust, which is where the fishermen come from. So I want to just briefly point you towards a guy called Peter. Peter was a fisherman. He had a brother called Andrew. And they were fishing just like this um, with the the hand-thrown nets on the Sea of Galilee. And that was where they, they lived and worked. And Jesus came along, and this is in, uh, let's get this right, get my notes correct, for those of you that are taking notes, pardon me, uh, Matthew 4, Matthew 4, 18 to 22, Jesus just comes along um, and says, come follow me, and I'll send you out to fish for people. And this is the bit I don't get, he said, at once they left their nets and followed him. There was something about this guy. Something about Jesus that was different to everyone else that came along and said, I'll give you a job. This guy, they went with him immediately. 
They had a viable business. It was all going fine, we think. But at once they left their nets and followed him. And then he does it again. He goes along, he sees James, the son of Zebedee, <laughs> and his brother John. What they called the sons of thunder or something like that, I should remember. Preparing their nets. And Jesus called them and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Something about him. If you go on to Matthew 14, um, 22 to 29. Take you to another moment. And this is Peter again. And they're out on, 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 the, on the lake. Um, I'll just read it. It's easy that way. Matthew 14, 22. Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side. He's just fed the 5,000. <laughs> just another day for Jesus. But, you know, this was a major miraculous event has just taken place. And Jesus wants some time out. He goes up the mountain. He says, I'm going off to pray. You guys take the boat, head back, and I'll join you later. They're assuming, of course, he's going to walk around. Uh, not walk across the water, which is what he does. But after he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Bad news. They're out in, this, in, the, in what's effectively a sea now, uh, and they've got waves. Jesus isn't even with them. They're starting to think, oh, no, what's going on? Shortly before dawn, this went on all night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. Now, normally, you read that out and everyone goes, <laughs> yeah, right, fantasy. No, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. No kidding. <laughs> they said, it's a ghost. <laughs> they cried out in fear. So things have gone from, we're on our own without Jesus, our leader has gone. Um, we've just seen something amazing, we don't know how to, what to make of it. We've um, gone out in the boat, it's now a serious storm, and now there's a ghost coming. We're, we're all dead. Okay, they, they immediately revert back to what they were before. Fear comes in. Jesus knows. He immediately said to them, take courage, it's I, don't be afraid. And then Peter does the classic, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus says, come. And Peter walks on water for a little while. Don't forget that. Before he sank, because he did sink, when he, when he started to look at what he was doing, he walked on water towards Jesus. Which is amazing. It's remarkable, isn't it? So, <laughs> Peter, with all this faith built up in him, having even walked on, on water, still let Jesus down. And still, Jesus said, you're going to deny me three times. He said, no, never, never. One of these other guys, maybe, but not me. He absolutely was not going to do anything like that. You see, the storms come. Do you notice Jesus didn't stop the storm? He doesn't say he stopped the storm. He did on another occasion when they woke him up because it was a bit serious. And he went, oh, yeah, okay, well, calm down then. He just, you can just do that stuff, being the king of kings. But in this occasion, he came through the storm. Think about that for a minute. Storms come. Sometimes God lets that happen. Maybe the um, thing on the horizon isn't actually coming to destroy you. Maybe it's, maybe it's coming to save you. Maybe you need a change in perspective. Peter wanted to be with Jesus as soon as he knew it was him. He was desperate to be with him. Are you desperate? Or do you start this year just thinking, yeah, I could take or leave it? 
Because God, my, my grandmother told me this, she's still alive, bless her. If she ever hears this, hello, Grando. And uh, she's down in Kent now. Uh, and she said to me once, she said, God will always be a gentleman. He'll never force himself on you. Okay, and that's something from her tradition and the Brethren Evangelical Church that they believe. They took it a bit too far at times. But they believe that you have to come to him. Okay, and occasionally God does come to you. Um, but the, the principle is still the same. He's a gentleman. He's not going to force you to believe anything. So it's up to you. Chase Jesus. Go to Jesus. He has all the power and all the miracles. If that's for me, I'll be about five minutes. Okay. Matthew 26. Let's go forward again to where Peter disowns Jesus. He was standing in the courtyard. Jesus has been arrested um, and sentenced. And, and a servant girl comes up to Peter says, You also were with Jesus of Galilee. And he says, I don't know what you're talking about. Goes through the gateway. Another servant girl sees him, a little kid, and says, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you're one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses and he swore to them. I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed and Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you'll disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. Now, one day we're going to meet Peter. And I'm going to ask him about that. Because that's something I want to know about. About how he felt. And what he wanted to do straight after. I just, I just wonder. Because he goes back to fishing. He goes back to the lake with his brother. Because Jesus has been killed by it, mind you. you know, he's been up on the cross. They've taken his body down. They don't know where the body is. Then they find out. But it's... It's a horrible time for them. Everything's gone. Everything they believed in appears to have gone wrong. And they've forgotten again what Jesus said to them about rising again. So then we go forward in Matthew um, to, I think we're still in 26. Sorry, bear with me. Yep, still in Matthew 26. Hope I haven't messed that up. Bear with me a sec. Don't like to get my references wrong. not Matthew. Bear with me. Um, I think it's, it's either John or Luke. I'm not sure where I got this from, but it's verse 21. Sorry, it's, oh, that's what it is. Right, so it's, it's either, it's chapter 21 of one of the Gospels. That's, I'm confident on that. From verse 1. Someone find it as I go along. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Cana, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't realise that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, it must be John. He always said that about himself. Yeah, it's John. John 21. The disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It's the Lord. He wrapped his outer garment around him for he'd taken it off and jumped in the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about 100 yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. A little reminder. Bread and fish. 
Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Peter climbed back in the boat, dragged the net ashore. It's full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net didn't tear. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was the third time he appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Why do I read you this? Because of Peter. Because he was saved while he was fishing. Jesus said to him, come with me. And he came. He was... On the sea, of, he was walking on the water with Jesus, in in a, in a high moment of his of his life. Then he has the low straight after when Jesus is arrested, he denies him three times. Everything's lost, he gives up, and he goes back to fishing. And then this is the bit where I love this, where Jesus turns up again in his grace. He doesn't hold anything against us, and he just says, "Come." <laughs> just toying with them, really, suggesting they throw the net on the other side, just to show them that he can do anything. And I love Peter's reaction because Peter, instead of waiting for the boat to get to the shore, which most normal people do, um, just dives straight in. And just I can just imagine him leaping through the water, trying to fishtail it to Jesus. You know, trying, I've got to get to him. Because he needed him, didn't he? So, yeah. Jesus this morning, at the start of 2015, offers forgiveness for all your sins by his grace. He's paid for you, and there is a way for you that's been made. Uh, my, my final words this morning are, if you came here today and you can identify um, with the picture I showed with the hole in the heart, and that's you. There's a hole there that needs filling. Don't go away from here today without finding out about Jesus, because he's the only one who can actually fill it. Um, and... And the other thing I felt was right to say today was um, this is also something in terms of the story of Peter and what he did. Um, if you feel that you've let God down and you feel that something went on in your life, however recently, it could have been ages ago, but something went wrong and it, it just went to pieces and you just went back to your old ways, then there's an opportunity for you this morning to come back to him because of grace. So... Um, I'm going to leave that with you. The ball's in your court. It's, uh, it's your 2015. Make of it what you will. But please don't leave here without Jesus this morning. That's the whole point. So let's pray. And then we'll... Um... Father, thank you that my voice got through today. Thank you that um, you've just done miracle after miracle in my life. And I can stand here and testify confidently that you are my saviour and you've done it by grace. I deserve nothing, but you gave me so much. And I pray that people here today, everyone, will know you in that way, that they'll have that personal relationship with you. God, that they'll leave here knowing that they are clean, that they can start again on a new page right now. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord.